0: Today, if you've ever been on a road trip before, uh, if you have kids or were a child at some point, I'm sure in that vehicle the question was asked, are we there yet? And so maybe we, this is our 14th week in the book of Acts, so maybe you've been asking the question, Adam, are we there yet? Are we there at the end of this series we're here we're pulling up to the hotel we're getting ready to get out and get to go swimming that's when i was a kid that was always the you know we if we're gonna stop at a hotel it better have a pool dad like that where if we're gonna stay at a hotel it's gotta have a pool and so we are there and we're here at the end of our series together and i hope it's been a blessing to you so open your bibles to acts 26 and at the end of our our series we've been walking through this. I hope that you've seen, you've seen yes, the start of the church. Larry read for us kind of a recap, a review of the entire book of Acts, and you've seen what the start of the church, how it was started, what is the church, the origin of the church, the origin of us. Remember, we've said a few times that this is, uh, this is really like family history here. We're talking about our origin as a faith family, a faith community. And we've seen what the church is all about, the mission of church. We've seen the benefits of the church. One thing that we have seen, and all throughout the book of Acts, if you were just to sit down and read through it, you'll see that it's incredibly obvious that, so obvious is the power of the gospel. The gospel is incredibly powerful. It spreads, it changes lives, and You could be here, you say, Adam, I hear you say the word gospel. What does that word mean? Well, gospel means good news. And so you must think, okay, what is this good news? Well, it's the reality that God came to this earth in human form in Jesus Christ. And he died to pay for the sins of the world. And was resurrected to defeat sin and death. And and then he was resurrected to show he had power over sin and death. This truth, and I just gave it in just a few seconds. This truth... It's powerful. We've seen the power of it. This gospel transforms lives. We transformed cities. We've seen that in the book of Acts. We've seen over and over again here in Acts that when the gospel is proclaimed, when the gospel is shared, and the Holy Spirit works, and the church prays, the gospel explodes. Over these past 13 weeks leading up to uh, today, I've Wondered what would it look like. Imagine with me just a little bit. Let's 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 do some visioning together. What would it look like for us here at Leewood as a faith family? What would it look like if we got to see that happen? See, sometimes I fall into the trap, and maybe we all fall into the trap sometimes too. When we read the Bible, we think, "Oh, that was two thousand years ago. That was a long time ago." Um, You know that doesn't happen anymore, right? Like it just almost feels like we read some of this, and it just feels maybe like a fairy tale, like it's not even real, or you know we we imagine it. But what took place here in Acts can happen today, as long as the gospel is shared. And and it almost sounds simplistic, like I think, oh, you know, if we want to see that happen here at our church, we're going to see what's taken place in Acts. We're going to see this happen across our nation, world. You know What does that look like? Well, over and over again we see here in Acts is that when the gospel is proclaimed and the Holy Spirit works and the church prays, big things happen. That sounds almost very simplistic, doesn't it? That almost sounds like, okay, there's got to be more to that. I I don't know. Sometimes I, I wrestle with that. But what would it look like if we were a church, all of us together committed to sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus as our banner says, and we were committed to asking and allowing and relying on the Holy Spirit to work. And then praying as a church, it works. And so I wonder, what would it look like for us at Leewood? We, we joke around here sometimes. You know, we pray we want to see people saved and baptized. Baptized so much that we have this really high water bill. You know, how we would celebrate that. Imagine what that would look like if we just were... Seeing people saved and baptized and lives transformed. And here's what happened in the book of Acts. And like I said, Larry did uh, read that review of the book of Acts. In a span of 35 to 40 years, this, this book here, these 28 chapters, it spans about 35 to 40 years. So, really, not that long, about four decades tops. So in that span of 35 to 40 years, we started out with 120 men and women who were speaking with the resurrected Christ, and then Jesus ascended into heaven, and then these 120 men and women went to Jerusalem. Well, where we'll be here in um, Acts chapter 26, where we'll see today, the Apostle Paul, he's heading towards Rome. Rome was is 2,997 miles away from Jerusalem. So let's just call it an even 3,000. So Rome was 3,000 miles away from Jerusalem. So in just a span of 35 to 40 years, and that region of the world was under the control of the Roman Empire, the gospel Christianity had gone from just 120 men and women to now spanning from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. In fact, we saw this a couple weeks ago, that the Christian faith, the gospel, had been heard by the entire continent of Asia. That's a big continent. So the entire continent, is said that we had heard the word of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean everyone in the ancient Roman Empire believed the gospel. Not everyone believed it, but they knew what it was. And so it started with just 120 people to exploding across to where the entire continent of Asia knew the gospel. Not necessarily believed it, but knew it. And isn't it that incredible that it did that? Just from 120 men and women. I, I read that and I think, what happened? That was explosive. That was... Like a virus, like if you watch a horror movie, you know, where a virus breaks out and they've got a doctor in some lab trying to figure out how to stop the virus and it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. That's kind of what the gospel did in the early church. It just grew like a virus. <laughs> Maybe it's not good to call the gospel a virus, I don't know. But it just grew, it just spread from 120 men and women to thousands and millions of people. And if we study church history, you and I are sitting here today... To where the virus has affected us. Some people would call religion a virus. Uh, it's, affected, it's affected us. And here's the profound nature of the gospel that we see here in Acts. Two thousand years ago, not just how fast it grew from just 120 men and women to a whole continent, but that it crossed all kinds of lines. Like, let's just do a little bit of review here through the whole book of Acts. Think of all the lines we've seen the gospel cross. We've seen it cross racial lines. Jews and Gentiles. The Ethiopian eunuch. We've seen it cross racial lines. We've seen it cross ethnic lines. We've seen it cross socioeconomic lines. You see, you have to understand something. In this time in world history, in human history, in that first century century, it was unusual that a religion could cross both ethnic and socio-economic lines. Because in the first century, nation-states in the Roman Empire had their own deities. So Rome had its own gods. Asia had its own gods. Greece had their own gods. And so where you lived determined the god you worshipped. So for the first time in human history... Okay, this is just not just a spiritual moment or talking about the spread of the gospel. This is a historic moment. For the first time in human history, there was a religion that was for all people. Christianity. So that's a big deal. So now, in today's world, there's this idea that... And don't believe this lie for one moment. Don't believe this this is a lie. Don't believe this lie. There's this idea that Christianity is demeaning or it's exclusive. But if we just zoom out on Christianity and just look at the big picture of human history, there has been no other religion in human history that has crossed more cultural lines or been more exclusive than Christianity. So next time you're talking to a coworker or a family member or some, a neighbor and they're like, oh, I't can't, I can't believe in Christianity. that's, that's too demeaning, that's too exclusive and in, in whatever label they want to throw at it, just take them back to human history and show them there's been no other religion in human history that's crossed more ethnic lines, more socioeconomic lines. But more than that, the gospel is about people. It's not just about lines being crossed and making cultural statements because the, the, the gospel changed culture completely. But it's about People. And Christianity and the gospel teaches it doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, a child. Doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter what economic status you have, doesn't matter who your parents were, doesn't matter what if you're royalty or peasant, it doesn't matter. We're all sinful. As Paul wrote in Romans, for all have what? sinned. And come short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. Doesn't matter what social status we have, what economic status you and I have, doesn't matter our background or our past or who our family was, it doesn't matter. Because we're all in the same boat. We're sinners. We're rotten on the inside. And we need a rescuer. And as John 3 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he came as the god man to rescue us really we understand the gospel rescue us from ourselves so it doesn't matter who you are or who your family is or your background your past salvation the gospel Christianity's for you it's for you so let's ask the question how did the gospel, this beautiful reality and fact that changes lives, how did it grow from just 120 men and women in Jerusalem to where it turned, it literally turned the Roman Empire upside down? What happened there? What happened? Well, these men and women in these churches that Paul and the other apostles had planted and mentored and discipled and raised up leaders in the church, there's a common thread in all of it. Obviously, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can be done in the church without the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work. God's presence in the life of the believer, in the life of the church, it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. But we participate in that work. And there's a common thread that these churches, these men and women had, is that they seized every opportunity imaginable to tell people about the death and resurrection of Jesus. They didn't waste time. They went right to the gospel. We see this, and we're going to see this here in Acts chapter 26. Because what we see in the Apostle Paul and the early church is that every opportunity that came up, Jesus was shared what made the gospel spread so fast was that the church relied on the Holy Spirit and the gospel was shared, Jesus was shared at every opportunity. So, look here in Acts chapter 26, but before we dive in to Acts 26, let me give you a little bit of background on what's happening here, because there's a lot that's happened as we get to Acts 26. There's a lot that's happened here, okay? In Acts chapter 21, write that down, go back and read it, because it's a fascinating story. I encourage you, sit down sometime this week, read Acts chapter 21 to the end of the book. Those eight chapters, it's really fascinating what happened. Well, in Acts 21, Paul, who was in Antioch, he felt compelled to go back to Jerusalem. He wanted to go back to see the church in Jerusalem. It had been a long time since he had been there. He wanted to go back to minister to the church. He wanted to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. But the other believers, they were telling him, don't go back to Jerusalem. They'll beat you up. They'll throw you in prison. But what did Paul do? He went back to Jerusalem. He went unwavered. So Paul goes back to Jerusalem. Well, he gets to Jerusalem. He goes to a temple. And there was a group of Jews from Asia that were there. And they were... And Paul started teaching the, uh, the gospel, they had heard what Paul had done around the world, starting churches, preaching the gospel, um, and their eyes pre- uh, teaching against the law of Moses. So these Jews from Asia, they got a riot going. They started a riot. They started a protest in our, in our world today. That's basically what they did. They started a riot. And they got, everyone worked up, and they were going to arrest Paul, and they were saying, he's teaching against the law of Moses, he's teaching against, it's against the Ten Commandments. And so this mob, a mob basically takes over there at the temple, and they beat him. I mean, they just beat him down. And there is just mass hysteria, chaos going on, that a Roman ruler in Jerusalem, Lysias, he has the gates of the city shut, okay, Now, we have all kinds of protests and all kinds of things going on in our country. We see it all over the news. There was so much protesting and rioting and this mob, all because of one guy, the Apostle Paul, that this Roman ruler, Lysias, he had to lock the gates. They weren't going to let anyone come or go from Jerusalem. That's how bad it was. So he locks the gates and he sends the soldiers into the temple to stop the riot and find out what's going on. But well, when they get there, when the soldiers arrived in Acts 21, when they got there with Paul, they, the mob had set up basically an illegal trial for Paul. They rigged this trial, and they were going to try Paul, and while Paul is on trial, they were just beating him up. They were trying him, and every time he wanted to say what was going on, I mean, they would just beat him. They would beat him, they would beat him, they would beat him. So finally, the soldiers step in, they stop the trial, they stop everything, and they drag Paul out of there. They take him to the barracks for his own safety, because they thought thought the crowd was going to kill him. Well, as they were dragging Paul out of there, the Bible tells us in Acts 21, he asked if he could address the crowd. He wanted to talk some more. So the soldiers let him... They get the crowd quiet, and he starts to speak in Hebrew. Now, the Apostle Paul is a brilliant man. He could speak many different languages, but obviously there in Jerusalem he speaks in Hebrew. Well, then we get into Acts 22. This crowd is made up almost entirely of Hebrews. And Paul tells them of his own conversion in the the Hebrew language. He tells them of his education. He tells them about persecuting the church. You remember when we talked about that? Paul was going, uh, well he was Saul at the time, he was going from house to house, dragging off men and women to prison, persecuting the church, ravaging the church. So he tells them, hey I persecuted the church right here in Jerusalem, I did that. Then he tells them about going on the road of Damascus and and encountering Jesus. He tells them about that experience, about Jesus appearing to them and and the conversion in his life. And then Paul says that Jesus sent him first to the Jews, but that because the Jews rejected the gospel, rejected the message, he went to the Gentiles. And there was a great harvest among the Gentiles. And of course the mob didn't like any of this. They got all. They were already angry, and they became more and more incensed. They were just freaking out even more. So Lysias, the Roman, pro, the, the Roman ruler in the area, of the proconsul, he didn't know what to do. So he had Paul tied up and whipped, flogged. He said, "Let's figure this out. Let's bind him up. Let's flog him and see what the uproar is all about." But just as they were about, you've got to read this. This is terrific. If you have any interest in law and trials, you need to read this. This is fascinating. Well, in Acts 23, they're getting ready to beat Paul, flog him. And just as they are about to pick up that whip and beat him, he says, Are you going to flog a Roman citizen? So he plays the trump card there. He plays the wild card. He throws that card out there and it stops everything. So this Roman figurehead, Lysias, he freaks out because it was illegal to flog a Roman citizen. See, Paul was unusual. He was a Jew and a Roman citizen. So it was illegal to whip and flog a a Roman citizen unless they had received the death penalty. And Paul hadn't been put on death row yet, so Paul wised up there. Maybe he should have wised up and just kept his mouth shut instead of addressing the crowd. But anyway, he let it get to that point, and he said, you can't whip a Roman citizen. That's illegal. So the Romans basically released Paul and they put him on house arrest and they tried to negotiate with the crowd and the idea was they were going to get Paul out of Jerusalem just because of the rioting and the mob that he had created let's get them out of, get him out of Jerusalem let's send him down to Caesarea let's get him out of Jerusalem and we'll give him a fair trial well that leaked out of course that leaked out and there was Forty men in Jerusalem who hated Paul so much that through this process they said they were not gonna eat or drink until they murdered Paul. Well, this got back to the Roman uh, rulers, and so they moved Paul down to Caesarea, and on the way, these forty men said they were gonna ambush, they were gonna ambush Paul and just a handful of soldiers and kill Paul. Well, so what the Romans did, they set up Paul with an escort of two hundred soldiers to get him to Caesarea. When they get to Caesarea, they run into the governor, Felix. And Governor Felix sits down. He wants to know what's all is going on. Of course, word had spread to the region. Felix talks with Paul, and Paul shares the gospel with Felix. We get to Acts 24. And Felix hears the gospel. He's troubled by it, so he sends him away. And Paul is under house arrest in Caesarea for two years. And while he's under house arrest, Governor Felix and his wife, his Jewish wife, they visited Paul and he continually shares the gospel. Now, we don't ever know if they accepted Christ or not, but Paul shared the gospel with them for two years. Then Felix was succeeded by, as a governor, he was, uh, he was succeeded by... Festus, they had some great names there, right? You had Governor Felix, Governor Festus takes over for Governor Felix, and Festus, he just wants to keep everyone happy. He was an appeaser. He didn't want people to be upset. He just wanted to make everybody happy, which he probably doesn't make a good leader. A leader's always going to make people upset, and so he is trying to, you know, just keep the peace, keep people happy. And so he leaves him, Paul, locked up for another couple of years and finally goes to Paul and says, listen, I'll give you a trial back in Jerusalem. Paul says, no way, Jose. No, mm-mm, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. I know how those people are. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. Um, I didn't do anything to the Jews. I didn't do anything but preach the gospel to them. I'm not going back for a trial in Jerusalem. I'm a Roman citizen. Send me to Caesar. I want to see the head honcho. I want to go see the emperor. Well, Festus didn't want to do it. Festus was so wishy-washy. I mean, he was just a wimp. He was a wuss. He didn't want to do that. Festus, you know, again, trying to keep people happy. So he was afraid if he sent this crazed missionary and church planner to, to Rome to see the emperor that... The emperor could say off, not with just Paul's head, but uh, Festus's head, because Festus is bothering the emperor with this. So Festus didn't want anything to do with that. Festus, in fact, said, I don't even know what to write to Caesar. Uh, I'm not going to send this guy up to go see the emperor be- over some religious skirmish. So what he does is King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, his grandfather was King Herod of the region. King, Herod, or King Agrippa shows up. And he he was flashy. He showed up with a bunch of pomp and circumstance. King Agrippa, who was king of the region of of, uh, Judea, he shows up. He was friends with Festus, and because his friend was so wishy-washy, he said, I'm going to try to come help him. So Agrippa shows up, and he he hears about what's going on about Paul. And King Agrippa was really intrigued by Paul. He was fascinated uh, by him. So we get to Acts chapter 26. So Paul had gone from starting a religious riot in Jerusalem to being put under house arrest by the Roman proconsul Lysias to then being sent to Governor Felix and then wimpy Governor Festus wanting to see see Caesar and King Agrippas coming in to to bail out his, his buddy Festus. Okay, you see all the moving parts here going on? So we're going to look at, right here in Acts chapter 26, we're going to look at Paul's conversation. I hesitate to call it a conversation a little bit because it's a little bit one-sided. Paul's going to address King Agrippa, so let's see what is going to go on. So let's look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 26, Paul and King Agrippa. It says, verse 1, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it, that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion I have lived as a Pharisee. So what's Paul doing? Let's push pause for just a second. What's Paul doing here? He's talking about his Jewish background. Okay? I know the Jewish religion like the back of my hand. In fact, I was a Pharisee. I know the Jews. Let's keep going. Verse 6. And now I stand here on trial because my hope, and because of my hope and the promise made by my God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by King, by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible, incredible, by any of you, that God raises the dead? Let's keep going, verse nine. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving the authority from the chief priests, but then when but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them make them blaspheme. And in ra- raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Again, Paul, he's given his Jewish background. He's saying, I persecuted the church. And it's almost like Paul saying, I had a problem with this religion, this Jesus talk. I had a real problem with it, and I tried to put a stop to it. Let's go to verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commissioning of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So here Paul tells of his conversion. He says, I was on the road to Damascus. I was going to persecute the church there. Jesus appears to me. Paul tells of his conversion and his call to ministry. Let's keep going. Again, the conversation he's having with King Agrippa. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but the prophets and Mo- uh, saying what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Now, this is the key verse, verse 23. That the Christ must suffer, and that by, by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. Here is just another example of a common theme and a common thread throughout the entire book of Acts of Paul and the church taking an opportunity that was given to them to share the gospel. Here Paul standing in front of King Agrippa, a powerful man, and he's sharing him, Jesus. He's telling him about Jesus. You say, this is the work Jesus has done in my life. This is the work Jesus has called me to. And this is what the, Jesus can do. Because Christ suffered and he rose from the dead and he would proclaim, what's that word? Light. Both to our people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. He's sharing the gospel with King Agrippa. Folks, this is just a microcosm of what happened in the early church. They were taking every opportunity given them to share the good news. I mean, look at the examples given in Acts. Write this down. Acts chapter 2. We saw this. The Holy Spirit comes. People start speaking in tongues. Peter shares the gospel. 3,000 people are saved. Acts chapters 3 and 4. Peter and John go to the temple to worship. The lame man was healed. You remember this? Lame man healed outside the temple. Peter preaches the gospel. 5,000 people are saved. They're brought to testify before the religious council, and they preach the gospel to the religious council. Acts chapter 6 Philip is in Samaria. He heals people. People in the Samaritans are curious about this. He tells them about Jesus, and the village of Samaria is saved and baptized. Philip then runs into the Ethiopian eunuch who is reading Scripture. He had questions about Scripture. Philip shares the gospel. What happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? He's saved. He's baptized immediately. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, a man in charge of, of, of soldiers in the Roman Empire and army. He sends men to bring Peter to his home. Peter shows up at Cornelius' home. And what did Cornelius do? room full of people, family and friends, to hear the gospel from Peter. Peter, sh- Peter shared the gospel, those people were saved. See, what we see here in Acts, when we start to ask the question, how did Christianity spread from just 120 men and women to the entire re- the continent of Asia into Europe, to, and then the be- believers left Europe, came to America... Christianity spread to America. You and I here sit here today. What happened with those 120 men and women? They took every opportunity they had to share the gospel. The gospel spread because the early church, church shared the gospel. And faith family, 2,000 years later, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Church researchers and uh, re- researchers and church statisticians, statisticians, you know the people that uh, sit up there and they, they research all of this, and they're asking the questions, "Why is denominations dying? Why are churches dying? It's pretty simple. The church has stopped sharing the gospel somewhere along the way something's been more important than the gospel and it could be a number of things and we could create a really long list but somewhere along the lines something became more important than the gospel and that's why the american church is dying The excuse could be made, oh, well, the American church has gotten out of touch. They haven't kept up with culture, blah, blah, blah. No, folks, the fact of the matter is the church has stopped spreading the gospel. We as individuals, we've stopped taking opportunities given us to share Jesus. I was slapped in the face with this reality, just even in my own life. When our missions team, when we were in Loveland, Colorado, um, those of you who are on that trip will probably know what I'm about to share. We were there at Calvary, Derby Hill. We were working on some work projects there at, at the church. And Dave Harry, the pastor um, of Calvary, Derby Hill was there. And all of a sudden, someone pulled up in a car and they were looking for gas, as often happens um, in, in churches. I mean, we get that here. We have people here looking for, mo- asking for money, can't pay their power bill or looking for gas for their car. We get that all the time even here at Leewood, especially because of our location. Well, Dave came outside. Someone had come to ask for money for gas, and so Dave took him to the gas station to put some gas in there, and Dave said, well, I'll put gas in your gas tank. But can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about what Jesus has done to my life and the change he's, he's made in my life? And it would have been easy for Dave to simply just give them the money to go get gas and fill them up and say have a nice day or to uh, say no, we don't have the cash on hand, we can't do that right now or, or just dismiss them completely or, or just invite them to church. Oh, why don't you come to our church? We're replanting this church. Why don't you come to church? No, Dave didn't do any of that. Dave shared Jesus with them. Folks, there's just a small simple moment of an opportunity given of sharing sharing Jesus with somebody and you might sit there and you th- we, we talk about you know evangelism and sometimes when we think of evangelism we think of knocking on doors and trying to evangelize and uh, our Jehovah witness friends haven't done us any favors when it comes to knocking on doors and um, and we think of that and that's really intimidating like I get really uneasy thinking about that like and then it's just or sometimes we think of you know, street play, uh, preaching on the plaza on a Friday night, and we think, oh, I would never do that. Or you think, Adam, I'm not really gifted in, in having a conversation about faith and Jesus and, and those kinds of things. I'm not comfortable, I'm not easy with that. And, and we come up with, honestly, any kind of excuse not to do that. But the reality is we're surrounded by people who are hurting in our workplaces, We have people who get diagnosed with cancer. And they're looking for hope. And we don't have to unpack the gospel. We don't have to unpack doctrine and theology and all that stuff, those big words that make us nervous. We don't have to do that. We could pray with somebody. We could talk with them. Oh, I'm sorry you have cancer, but can I share with you why I have hope in my life? I know Jesus. I know I know Jesus, and my eternity is secure with Him. I think, I think we, all of us in this room, no matter our spiritual maturity, how long we've been, we've been Christians, we can say that. And then oftentimes we say, oh, wow, I'm sorry you have cancer. Is there anything I can do for you? And that's a good thing to ask, don't hear me wrong. But it's an opportunity to share the gospel talk with someone who is having financial struggles marriage struggles and as we we talk with people all the time and those are just small little opportunities for us to share the gospel and i just wonder what would it look like if the believers the christians the christ followers here just in the United States, if we were all together, the American church, just a little bit more intentional. I'm not talking about making fools of ourselves and being whatever. You all have the idea in, my mind, in your mind. What would it look like if we as believers in our nation just took little opportunities just to share with someone just something a little bit about Jesus? There might be some pressure there, That might be some nervousness there, but the reality, as we've seen here in the book of Acts, it's not us that brings the results anyway. It's not up to us. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us, living in us. And it's the Holy Spirit that does the work so that we're not responsible for the result. I think sometimes, even in my own life, I feel responsible, like I have to hit a home run in a sermon, I have to do this, and it's not me that does the work. Thank goodness. (laughs) It's the Holy Spirit that does the work in people's lives. And folks, we've got the gospel that's so precious and so valuable that changes people's lives to a world that is hurting. And if we would just share Jesus as the early church did, what would happen? And folks, I'm talking to myself here. I think of how many opportunities do I miss? sharing just jesus with them with somebody just telling them a little bit about jesus not unpacking the entire new testament no one's got time for that but just sharing jesus making a kind gesture with someone and taking a moment to share jesus folks. folks we want to see the gospel spread like wildfire like it did in the early church we have what they had and it's simply the gospel and it's simply Jesus. So let's together, as a faith family, let's pray for opportunities to share Jesus with, with, with someone. But then also to remember in our daily lives, and our walk, and our habitual way of living, of sharing Jesus. So let's pray together. God, thank you for the early church thank you for those brothers and sisters there in the book of acts who would just take opportunities to make you known to people god we want to do that we want to make we want to make you known and, and forgive us for dropping the ball on that we pass up opportunities to speak with our neighbors or coworkers or people in the grocery store god give us Give us opportunities to just share just a little snippet, a little taste of Jesus. And then, God, I pray that when those opportunities come up and we're faithful in that, I pray that you would do the work in the lives of people. Help us to be faithful as a faith family, as a church, to making you known to the ends of the earth. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.